If you have a copy of God's Word, I would invite you to turn with me to the book of Revelation. It's the last book of the Bible. Um, we're going to look at chapter 22 this morning, verses 6 through 21. Uh, there's going to be many verses we're not going to touch upon today, um, but we're coming to the end of our series on Revelation. We've got one more week after this, Lord willing. And so before I read these, I just want to recap. So here we go. If you haven't been with us, this may be a little bit of, uh, you know, overload, but hang in there. Uh, these are things we've been talking about for, uh, for six months. So let's go over our uh, four preliminary principles. So if you want to understand the book of Revelation, you've got to understand these four things. The first one is this. God always finishes what he starts. What God said he was going to do in Genesis 1 and 2 is how the world is going to be. So the book of Revelation is showing us that God always finishes what he starts and that our sin and rebellion and the most crafty scheme of the enemy can't stop God from doing what he wants to do. He always completes what he starts. Genesis and Revelation are connected. Second, if we're going to understand Revelation properly, we need to think about time in the way God talks about time. So when you read through the New Testament, what you find out is that the last days started with the coming of Jesus. We looked at that back in January. Meaning, Revelation does not begin to tell us about the last days. Revelation is a summary of all that will happen from the birth of Christ until his return. So that what we see in Rep Revelation is a repetition over and over and over of the same things that have been happening for the last 2,000 years. And they'll continue until Jesus returns. Three, we should have a posture of humility when we come to the book of Revelation. There are things we know and there are things that we don't. Revelation is not a code book whereby you have to find someone who has a PhD or a gigantic chart to work every detail out for you. Revelation was written to a group of churches in the first century to people just like you and me. It doesn't mean something for us that it didn't mean for them. It is not a code book. It is a picture book. It is meant to fire up our imaginations with what is true. So that we're not just reading propositions like we do when we read through the New Testament letters. We are seeing image after image after image that's meant to get us and get deep into us and connect with us at the deepest possible level so that we would be fired up with what is true and excited about Jesus. Remember that's the first phrase of the first verse of the first chapter of this book. Like a billboard. This is the revelation of Jesus Christ. First phrase of the first verse of the first chapter of this book. It's about Jesus and revealing him. Meaning that leads us to the fourth principle. Jesus actually accomplished something. Jesus is a literal savior. Jesus' life and death and resurrection actually accomplishes and accomplished something. Remember when the angel came and said, you will call him Jesus for he will 
save his people from their sin. So Jesus didn't die to make you savable. He didn't die to make salvation possible. He died to save a people. And unless you kind of work through those four things, you'll find out that Revelation will lead you in a very, very different direction. All right, that's our preliminary principle. So the last three weeks we've been in Revelation 21 and 22. So this will be week four. So let's briefly recap these. Hopefully you can sense the momentum is building. And for those of you that are tired of this, the landing gear's out, okay? Like next week will be the last week of Revelation. So we're going to land next week and then we'll move on to something else. Um, But let's review where we've been in 21 and 22. The first time, the first uh, week in these chapters, we talked about the essence of our forever future. What is the essence of our forever future? So we looked at 21 and 22, and we found out this is the essence. God always finishes what he starts, and heaven is coming down. Very important. Heaven's coming down, and God always finishes what he starts. So when you read these chapters, what you find is that God will be present with us forever and ever. The promise of Scripture, I will be your God and you will be my people from Genesis to Revelation, is literally true, literally fulfilled, and we'll see him face to face. The second week, we talked about what does it mean that he's going to make all things new? What does that mean? And we thought about hope, that we are a people of hope. This is a book of hope. Last week, we talked about, but what... What is heaven? Let's try to describe it. So we went through the verses that describe heaven. Did that last week. And at the end, we also talked about the lamb. You remember that? Remember those two, those of you that were here last week? What's heaven really like and and the lamb? So this week, we're going to look at uh, a couple other things. And I want to read these verses to you, and then I'll pray, uh, give you a roadmap of where we're going, and then we'll jump in. That's where we're going. Sound good? Follow me. You need, to, you need to stand up and jiggle around a little bit. Did I put you to sleep yet? I'm going to try not to. Um, but listen to this. This is God's word. You can bank your whole life on this. And he said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of this prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the evildoer still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates." Outside are the dogs the sor- and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. 
I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. Another week of reading something that sounds pretty good, huh? Let's pray. Let's ask God to help us. Lord, we thank you for your words. You tell us that they're true. So we ask, Holy Spirit, you'd act on us and and bring the truth deeper and further into our lives. Help us not to come to worship thinking that we need to find new ways of how to be dependent on self, tricks, methods, ways to make our lives easier and accomplish our agendas. Keep us from that mentality. Work in us a desire to come to meet with you because we want to grow in our dependence on you. We want to live by good news. So make that good news clear to us today. And make it clear to our souls, not just our minds, but to our soul. For your glory. Amen. So here's where we're going today. Two things. If you saw verse 7 and verse 9, there's this phrase, uh, blessed is the one who keeps the words of prophecy of this book. What in the world does that mean? How do you keep the words of prophecy of this book? We're going to try to answer that question. What does God mean when he tells us to keep the words of the prophecy of this book? And secondly, we're going to look at and be reminded of that this is a message for the thirsty. That's in chapter 21, verse 6, and 22, verse 17. So that's what, those are the two things we're talking about today. Got it? Clear? What does it mean that we're supposed to keep the words of this prophecy and for the thirsty? All right, so let's jump in. So you notice that as we started in verse 6, that here John is again walking with the angel. And the angel is showing John things as he has been showing John things, meaning He's showing us things because we get to see the same things that John does. So we're invited to come along and see what John sees. And this time, John seems to be reflecting on the astonishing things that he has seen. Now, would you agree that we've seen some pretty astonishing things in this book so far? Would you agree with that? That's a little bit of a loaded question because I actually want to ask you a question and I really want you to verbally respond if you'd like to. And if you don't, it's okay. We'll just move on, all right? But I really want to pause and think about this for a moment. God has showed us some astonishing things in this book, hasn't he? So I want to ask you and I want you to verbalize it if you're willing. And again, if you're not, it's okay. We'll just move on. But would you... Would you tell us 
what's something astonishing that you have observed or learned or seen in this book? The throne? How come? Yeah. Just the centrality of it. Okay. The throne. I, I'm with you. Right there. What else? What's something else that you've seen or thought about that you hadn't before that just astonished you? Anybody else? The nine o'clock, three people spoke. <laughs> oh, yeah. The presentation of the city. How come? The beauty of the city, it's immaculate. Yeah. It blew my mind to think about the city also being a bride. And the city is us. That's crazy to think about. What else? Anybody else? Mm, I like that. Anything specific with that, Meg? Mm, I like it. Someone else had their hand up. Yes. Now you got to speak loud because you have a mask on and I can't, I won't be able to see you and read your lips. So speak up. <laughs> uh. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Thank you. In looking at some of the judgments, we realize that some of them is that we have an abundance of things we don't really need and a paucity of things we really do need. And that can be striking because we all need relationships and truth, but we tend to snack on junk, spiritually speaking. Anybody else? Mm, that's good. Angelica mentioned that the mark is not necessarily a physical mark. It's more of an ideology that we work out with our hands and feet, right? That's good. All right, I can't let you go on too long. So the reason I mentioned that is this. We've seen some astonishing things, right? Do you notice what happens in verse 6 through 9? John falls down to the angel's feet, and guess what he starts doing? Worshiping the angel again. I want you to understand that we always have a tendency to worship the messenger rather than the God of the message. And I just want to say that to start because it puts us back in this humble posture where we're trying to focus on God, right? Because the angel ends up saying to John, John, I'm with you, man. I'm, I'm with you and all the prophets that have gone before me. But John, don't worship me. Worship God, right? So I'll be completely honest with you. Here are some of my heroes. I love Sinclair Ferguson. He's one of my heroes, one of my favorites. Every book that he has that I own, guess what I write on the front page? Dear Dave. Before I even read it. Because every time I read a book that he writes, I'm like, man, this guy's reading my emails. <laughs> he is reading everything that's going on inside of me. Um... Donald McLeod, 
He was a principal of the Free College of Scotland, retired a few years ago, and I started fretting. What? He can't retire? He's written all this stuff about Jesus that have blown my mind, that have helped me understand Jesus in ways that I never even understood in seminary. And now he's going to retire. He's got to keep writing. He's going to live forever, right? Tim Keller, been very influential. When I found out he had pancreatic cancer, I shed some tears. I don't want him to leave. To hear the report last week or the week before that things are going well was such an encouragement to me because I didn't want him to die. Maybe you have a favorite teacher. Maybe you have favorite books. Whatever that is, we all can fall into the trap of worshiping the messenger rather than the God of the message, right? So we got to check ourselves because what I really got through Donald McLeod was Jesus. What I really get through Tim Keller is Jesus What I really get through Sinclair Ferguson is Jesus, and I need to worship him. Those are just broken channels, as we're all broken people. So what does it mean that we're supposed to keep the words of the prophecy of this book? What does that mean? If we have the tendency to lean on the messenger rather than the God of the message, what does it mean for us to keep the words of prophecy of this book? Well, verse 18 and 19 give us a very, very quick entry into the beginning of that answer. Look at what it says in 18 and 19. Don't add to it. Don't take away from it. So if you want to keep the words of this prophecy, don't add to it, don't take away from it. Take the word of God as is. Don't try to smuggle your system into it. You just take it as is. That means you've got to embrace the difficult things that you don't like, that might not fit with what I want. I've got to take the word of God as is. That's a start. But what does it mean to keep? the words of this prophecy. Well, remember, it's not a code book. Because if it was, then we'd read it like a mystery, which means we'd have to solve it. And the way that that's been presented over the last hundred years is that there's always these new meanings to the book, that we've got to keep cracking the code. But remember, the number one command, at least as I remember, the number one command of this book is, look. See, behold this. That's the number one command. In other words, John is saying these are all images that I want you to look at and to see. So in order to keep the words of prophecy of this book means that we keep the images of this book fresh in our minds and in our hearts. Does that make sense? So we take the images of this book and we hide them in our hearts. The word actually conveys the idea of um, withholding, keeping, withhold, keep it close, guard these images because these images have power. Reading the words in a sentence that Jesus is Lord of all is not the same thing as seeing the throne room, is it? even though they're communicating the same thing. So in order to keep the words of prophecy of this book, we take the images and we put them in our hearts and we keep them. So let me give you three images that dominate the book. And you can add to this. You can take away from it. You can say your own. The first one is, you've already talked about it, the throne. If you want to keep the words of the prophecy of this book, 
then beloved, the throne of God needs to have a special dominating place in our hearts. Because the throne room is the one reference point for all of reality, isn't it? It's the one reference point for reality. It's the one reference point for your life and for my life. It is the one reference point that reminds us that our God is sovereign. It's the reference point that means whatever you think about evil, whatever you're going through that's dark, wherever you think the enemy is moving, he is subordinate to the throne. And that means this. When you read the gospel accounts and Jesus is describing his own ministry and he says, how am I gonna accomplish anything without first binding the strong man? Because once I bind the strong man, I'm going to plunder his house. You do realize that's how Jesus is talking about his death and resurrection. Through his death and resurrection, he is binding the strong man, that is Satan, so that he, Jesus, can plunder his house. Do you remember in the gospel accounts when Jesus encounters those who struggle, who have uh, demonic possession and things like that, that there are several times where the demons actually look at Jesus and say, Jesus, what are you doing? It's not time yet. AKA, they know that their time is limited. When we've gone through Revelation together, do you remember there are phrases in this book, chapter 12 comes to mind, in which Satan himself knows that his time is short? Do you? Do you believe that Satan's power has been restricted? Do you believe that his time is short? Live like it. Whatever you think of evil, whatever you think of darkness, it is subordinate to the throne of God and what has been accomplished by Jesus. That doesn't answer all your questions. It doesn't answer all mine. But it means that God is supreme and overrules and is more powerful than anything else. And if that will dominate your mind and your heart, then we'll be keeping the words of the book of this prophecy together. The second image, you mentioned it, the lamb. Remember, why in the world... After the new heavens and the new earth begin, the heaven comes down, all things made new. Why in the world do we still have this lamb? Jesus described as a lamb seven times in 21 and 22. Remember? Because we never move beyond Jesus. In our forever future, we will never move beyond the gospel, ever. We will always be reveling in and rejoicing over and exulting in what Christ has accomplished. We'll just see it in its fullest expression. Jesus will always be the center. He will always be the crux of our existence forever and ever. Remember, the good news, the gospel, is a declaration that Jesus has lived that Jesus died and that Jesus rose again. That's the gospel, it's facts, it's historical stuff. It's that he literally did this on earth. That's the gospel, it's an announcement that God came. But that announcement means something for our lives. 
that means that the gospel is not only announcement of what has happened, the gospel is useful for us in our everyday lives. That means if you allow to, uh, if you will open up your heart and if you will allow this to get into your mind, you can actually live by the gospel. You see, the lamb deals with your sin and my sin on an everyday basis. We need to remember this lamb, Jesus, deals with our sin. Because when we recognize that he deals with our sin and that before God we are forgiven and our slate has been wiped clean, we've been given the righteousness of Jesus, when that begins to happen, then we'll relate to other people based upon sin or not. We won't relate to people based on whether or not they meet our expectations or other things that we might say or might go unsaid. It means that we relate to people, we relate to our children, relate to our spouses, relate to our coworkers in terms of sin. Did they sin against me or not? And if they didn't, keep going. And if they did, then talk to them. God makes our lives very simple through Jesus. We don't have to put up with all the other expectations that are written and unwritten, all that stuff. We deal with people in terms of whether someone sins against us or not. Just imagine if your marriages were based on that. Imagine if mine was. Not on all the unwritten things that I have to, you know, figure out. The land deals with our shame and our guilt. You see, when we remember that Jesus deals, the lamb deals with our shame and our guilt, it reminds us that we have a new identity. And that means that when we forget that Jesus deals with our shame and our guilt, it means that we start trying to live our lives based on the image of ourselves that we want to craft and we want to build. And that always brings guilt and shame. Because we're never enough, are we? The lamb deals with our guilt and shame so that we live by what he says about us, not by what we are trying to accomplish through our own abilities and gifting. That's keeping the words of the prophecy of this book. That's the image of the lamb working itself out in our lives. How about the lamb dealing with our belonging? Anybody in here ever lonely? Oh yeah, oh yeah. Super popular. The lamb deals with our belonging. That means we belong to God. And when we forget that we belong to God, we start putting inordinate pressure on others to make us feel like we belong. So it means we want to find belonging at our jobs, right? So we work really, really hard because we want to belong. We want to be part of the team. We want to be recognized. We want to belong. But the gospel says Jesus has dealt with our belonging. So we don't need to put any undue pressure on other people or relationships or our job, our career, or anything else. It means we live as people who belong to God and therefore we belong to each other based on what the Lamb has done. So that we genuinely belong. The Lamb also deals with our death. You ever think about this? The older you get, probably the more you think about it. Just a guess. We all know what it's like to have, at some level, our bodies deteriorating, right? 
Well, the lamb deals with our death. It means that we recognize that, oh yeah, the resurrection is real. What happened in the first century means that I too will be raised. It means that my body will come up out of the ground. And I will be given a new body. And I will live forever with God and his people here in a purified, refined earth forever. It means that I can deal with death. That I don't have to live like the culture that wants to ignore it, not talk about it, minimize it, try to find a solution to beat it. The lamb is the image that should dominate our minds and hearts every day in our relationships. The third one is this. Heaven coming down. The new heavens and the new earth. That's another image that should dominate who we are. Because it means the restoration of all things. It means that God's going to make all things new. It means that we have hope, right? It means that that hope influences our everyday lives. It means that the new heavens and the new earth actually free us and work into us the desire to live as if sacrifice is normal. I'm not talking about being uncomfortable every now and then. I'm talking about sacrifice. I'm talking about living with people such that you have to absorb something that they have done against you. And you have to absorb the consequences of that. That is sacrifice. You know, when we get to practice the gospel and say, this person did this to me, put that on my account. Remember that? Put that on my account. This person did this, this person did that, put that on my account. I'll forgive it. It means that with this promise of restoration and hope, not only will we live our lives as if sacrifice is normal, it means that we will be able to endure trials that are unimaginable. You remember this? All those things that you didn't think were happening in your life and would happen in your life, the things that you're going through now, the struggles that you have, the things that you may not be sharing with anyone else. The only way to endure those trials is if your hope in Jesus is real. And the third means that you will enjoy life. And you gotta have all these three together. That you'll realize sacrifice is normal, enduring trials is possible, and you can actually enjoy your life. I learned this from a 30-year-old this week who has a 2% chance of living. This is what she said. I can't wait until things aren't hard anymore before I decide to be happy. Did you hear that? I can't wait until things aren't hard anymore in order to be happy. Beloved followers of Jesus are the only ones who can find joy in trial and in sacrifice. Who can understand the curse and the darkness of the world that we live in and still have hope and joy 
So I would press this even more. That hope that's coming, let's get granular. There's going to be no more curse, right? There are going to be no more tears of sorrow, right? Is this right? There's going to be no more uh, pain, right? Uh, 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 we looked at the fact there's no sea. There's going to be no more chaos in the world, right? There's no drama, right? Well, if all that is true, and this image is dominating your heart along with the lamb and along with the throne, then that means you know that you can't fix things in this world, but you can enter in. If the day is coming in which there will be no more tears of sorrow, are you willing to wipe away tears this week? Are you? If the day is coming in which there is no more curse, will you recognize that your job is to push back on the effects of the fall and the curse in this world? Do you understand that your lives are all missional? That every single day you are on the mission of God to push back on the effects of sin and brokenness. Do you, do you know that? That's having this image of your hope dominating your heart. It means in a world of falsehood, are you willing to tell the truth? It means in a broken world, are you willing to enter into people's lives? Not just make your view of your goals a reality of what it means to make a beautiful family or to be single or to have this amazing retirement or whatever it is. Do you realize that these images are supposed to dominate our lives? That's what it means to keep the words, the prophecy of this book. So I ask you, what, what reality are you living into? Really? What reality are you living into? Are you living into the reality that Jesus didn't really accomplish anything? So the world is going to get worse and worse and worse? And before things get too bad, you're just going to get raptured out of here? And so right now you're living your life to be rapture ready. And that requires two things. One, you better share your faith because things are getting really, really bad out there. And two, you better find a group of people to, to huddle up with and have your own little, little holy huddle. Because your job is to protect yourself from all the bad stuff out there. To just live with these people and just try to protect, 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 protect. Is that the reality that you're living into? where every single thing is driven by fear? Where everything is driven by the fact you have to have an enemy to exist? Is that the reality you're living into? Or are you living into the reality that Jesus actually accomplished something? And that you know that evil will progress in the world, therefore you won't be surprised to see it progress in the world. But you want your purpose and your motive and your mission of your life to come from Jesus and to come from the thing, the only thing in this world that's invincible, which is the gospel. Which means 
that you want to build relationships with people and you want to share your faith, not because you're afraid that evil is growing so much, but because you were an enemy of God and you want to love other enemies of God. You don't need them to exist. You want enemies because you want to figure out how to love them. It's a whole lot easier to live when you can just have enemies though, isn't it? This makes you feel so good about yourself, whether they're ideological or real. It's just so much easier to live when you can identify an enemy and be like, I don't want that. Meanwhile, forgetting all along, I was an enemy of God. So are you. Therefore, with Jesus as our purpose and motive and mission, you not only want to reach people, you want to see his church strengthened. You want to see new churches planted. You want to see his kingdom spread. And if you checked out during that, come back, because I'll need you to hear this. I am not asking you what reality are you living into because I'm trying to back you into a corner saying you got to choose this one or that one. That's not what I'm saying. I'm asking you what reality are you living into, not because I'm trying to push you into a corner. I am trying to get you to be reflective and to think about the reality that you are living into. And if you're living into the reality that Jesus hasn't accomplished anything and your hope is to get out of here, just admit it. Because we are supposed to live from the fullness of Christ. We are supposed to live our lives from what he has accomplished and who he is and what he has said about the future and what he will do because of his death and resurrection. We need to live from the fullness of Christ and our bent is always the other. So hopefully that is an easy connection into this. Did you notice 22.17 and 21.6? Who's this written for? The thirsty. God doesn't say these things are written for good people who are just interested in being good people. This isn't written for the smart. Those people that get it, that can connect all the ideological dots. This isn't written for the smart. Doesn't say it's written for the people who are cleaning themselves up. As if to say, if you just get your act together, all this is for you. This is written for the thirsty. You know what it's like to be thirsty? It means you have a very clear sense that you are empty and that you have a need. So the deepest question I can ask you is this. Where do you need Jesus? Where? Do you think to yourself, you know what? I don't really need him at work. I got that locked up. I don't really need him in my marriage. My marriage is amazing. I don't, I don't need him in, uh, in terms of my finances. I, I'm a genius when it comes to financial things. Where do you really need Jesus? Today, right now, where do you need him? Because this whole message is for the thirsty. And the message of the gospel is that we need Jesus everywhere in our lives. In everything. The only requirement God has is that we need. And we know that we need. 
That's it. And friends, that's what brings us to the table.